I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Wednesday Q&A where you all ask the questions and we answer. I'm joined by my beautiful co-host, Kristen Williams, physical therapist, senior lit teacher extraordinaire. Hey, Kristen. Hey, Laura. How are you? I'm so good. We have a ton of questions. We're going to get to some of them today, but don't worry. We'll keep on coming back if you don't hear yours. Okay. So the first one is by Wellness Model. How to handle the traditional slash textbook slash cut and paste treatment styles of outpatient life. I'm a PTA, she's a physical therapy assistant, and she gets a straightforward shoulder impingement case. Go to treatment ideas, question mark. So I guess you're asking in general how to do something a little different when you're in the outpatient clinic than here's a person with shoulder impingement and cut and paste, give them ideas. Yeah, That's tough. Uh, KB, I'll let you answer first because you've been in a clinic more recently than I have. Well, and that's especially tough for her as a PTA, you know, I mean, she is following the lead of her physical therapist. I have one of my dear friends as a PTA and she is constantly emailing me like, oh my God, I want to scream because her, she feels like her therapist just doesn't care and just does the cookie cutter. And she is bound by her state practice act to where she can make suggestions, but you know, in that position, you are stuck. And I promise you, there is a lot of really bad PT out there. It is easy for people to get into a habit of seeing things through one lens. And it's not just physical therapy, it's any type of medicine. And for you in your position, that's challenging. So, you know, I think your best bet would be to try to have a conversation you know, with your fellow PTs, and it might not be the PT you're directly working with. You might bring this up in conversation with other physical therapists or say, hey, I saw this and this seemed to work really well, or I've been reading about this. You know, trying to, uh, some of the best clinics I've been in are clinics where we had weekly staff meetings and we just shared our knowledge, the ability for a clinic, and they should be doing this. They should be, and even if it, I had one place I worked where we would just go out to lunch, but we would still all talk and conversing and sharing and being open to new ideas. If you find yourself in a place where that is not happening, 
it might be time to start to spread your wings. You know, look elsewhere. Look in, obviously you can be doing this on the sly, but, you know, look into doing your own thing. You know, there's a lot you can do as a movement specialist to help others, but there's also a lot of other places that you can go work that is a whole different environment. And, you know, once I experienced working in a place that had heavy emphasis on manual therapy, had a heavy emphasis on training and treatment that is more holistic, I could never go back to another cookie cutter place. And I would, every time someone comes to see me, well, I've tried physical therapy. Well, what did you do? And if they aren't laying their hands on you, if they aren't listening to you, if they aren't watching you move, I was talking with someone just last week. I had a private and she's like, you're the first physical therapist. She's in England. And she's, and I said, send me a video of yourself running. I want to see you moving. And she's like, I've been to five different places and no one has watched me run and I'm going there for running issues. So there's a great disservice being done. It is rampant, again, not just physical therapy and across the medical field because we are asked, we are overworked, underpaid, a lot of other red tape things that are being placed upon us that it is an easy trap to fall into. So good for you for noticing, number one, that that's what's going on. And then start that pivot. Start your own pivot. That would be my recommendation. I, I couldn't agree more because like you, I, I mean, you know, I came out 25 years ago. You came out 23 years ago or something. I mean, we had so much more time with our clients. And I worked in neuro rehab where I would have an hour one-on-one. I mean, I couldn't not do that because there's so much involved when helping with neural remapping and all the, all the hands-on stuff I'd have to do. That is not the case anymore. And it has changed slowly and yet quickly to the where we are now, which is this modern medical model. And you know, it's hard to complain when we have healthcare, but there's also this cookie cutter paste, you know, cut and paste healthcare, which everybody is different. Everybody moves differently. Everybody's coming in with a different history. And so I can't just have someone do a shoulder impingement exercise that's on a printout the same, <laughs> you know, that's just irresponsible. But uh, it's, I feel, I feel sorry for the PTs that are in that situation because they are seeing, you know, anywhere from six to eight people an hour and they're relying on, you know, physical therapy assistance to carry that out. They, they're probably exhausted to, to be creative innovative is just not even in their, you know, in their wheelhouse right now. So I would say if you find yourself in this position, yeah, know that it's not going to improve at that place. So I would absolutely, with Kristen said, start looking at other places because there are ones out there. And this is important to know as a person who is going to PT, you will get what you pay for. Now, there are some clinics where you're going to, your insurance is going to cover it. You're going to pay very minimally and they're amazing. But those are harder and harder to find. Then there are ones where you're going to have to pay more out of pocket. And the reason is you're covering that extra income that those therapists would make if they saw more people, but they're seeing you in a more personalized way. So just know that it goes both ways. You, you're more likely to find those places if you are willing to pay a little bit more money. And as, as a PTA, I would 
try and find those places where they say there's no way you're going to see more than this number of people an hour. They're giving the educational seminars, like Kristen was saying. They're continually looking at new ways of treating old problems, you know, and they're looking at the whole body. They're looking at the whole person. They're putting their hands on somebody. You know, you could have two people, and I've had this, I know Kristen have too, that have had shoulder impingement issues. And I could give them the same exercises, like the wall exercise, but if I don't get my hands on both of their scapulas, or at least really over, like if I were to do it virtually, really clearly say, hey, when you start off, your scapula is already way abducted. You have no space to be able to get upper rotation. So before you start off, you're going to need to actually retract a little bit. That might be one person. That would be the absolute worst thing to give another person. You know, So it has to be like looking at someone and giving them feedback and education. I think the most, Kristen and I both agree, the most fun part about being a physical therapist is educating people to take care of themselves and in effect, heal themselves. We are just facilitating that. We're not fixing it. We are facilitating it. And if you're not given that opportunity in the clinic you're in, you're going to burn out. And that's another big thing that happens with PTs is they burn out because you spend all this time and money on getting education, on learning how to work with people. And then in fact, you're just kind of a glorified like instructor of exercises. (laughs) And that's not fun. All right. Well, we could talk about PT stuff all day. (laughs) (sighs) Okay. Well, good luck to you, honey. That's the main thing. Dandelion Butterflies ask, what are the best two exercises to assist chondromalacia patella? Mine is exaggerated by years of, it looks like she said netball. So I'm thinking netball. That's, you must be from a different country. Maybe that's volleyball. I don't know what netball is, but maybe that's what that is. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. That's what, because that has a net and there's a ball and I'm thinking that's what it is. Yeah. So why don't you first describe for everybody out there, what is patella chondromalacia? Yeah. Yeah. So chondromalacia of the patella is when you have a cartilage, which is like a, think of like a bumper pad that's on the bottom side of your patella. And it's actually the thickest piece of cartilage in your body. I've read in the studies, it's been anywhere from three millimeters to five millimeters thick. And so when you think about that, the reason is because the knee, the patella takes so much of our body weight. When you go downstairs, when you climb, when you run, upwards of seven times your body weight goes through the patella. Now, which is no problem. It's built to take that when it's moving fluidly within the femoral groove. So it it has this groove within the femur that it slides up and down with. Traditionally, that's what we want. We want to see it slide superior and inferior when we bend and straighten the knee. What happens with a lot of people, and if this is in fact like a volleyball or any type of jumping type of sport or running where it's basically controlled falling is what you like to call it. I love that. If that kneecap starts to track erratically, where it starts to move, say, side to side, you're going to get spaces where imagine that you are rubbing two surfaces together like a, like a filing, like, like an emery board, and you're just wearing it away. You know how your emery board is. You can you know, work at one spot and you're like, oh, I got to move to another spot because you wear away that protective covering. So that's what's happening with chondromalacia is that protective covering is starting to wear away, either on the surface of the femur or the surface of the patella or both, and it causes pain. So that's what's happening. 
for, you're asking for the best two exercises. Again, just like we talked about with the, with the last question, we would have to see you move. But a lot of times, going back to last week's, where we talked about the knees, they really just want to move, bend and straighten. And if we're seeing that abnormal tracking, it's we're looking at what's happening above and below. So a lot of times with those people we work on, which we do all the time in lit yoga, my, one of my favorite things about lit is the hip hinge. So sitting back into the hips, moving with your hips as opposed to moving as much with your knees. And so that's going to apply with a jumping, with a landing, sitting back into the hips so you can use the massive gluteus maximus to control that descent and then also explode up out of it. Same thing is going to be true for the ankles. If you don't have that ankle mobility, you're not going to be able to tap into the gastrocnemius as well. And so, you know, all of these accessory muscles that help that knee to track. So I would always look at the hip hinge and working that, working some sort of a, I don't want to call it a squat because it's more of a, like a chair, a sit back, a sit to stand type of action. And then some sort of a stepping is the same idea and making sure that knee is tracking. You need to brain map it. You need to work on your glutes to get them stronger, to help out with that brain map. So you stop solely relying on your quad, stop solely relying on the knee to try to track itself because it, it can't. So for me, it's the, it's the step up slash down with a good tracking of the knee. And then it's the hip hinge. And then it's always going to be also looking at something in the lateral hip, some sort of sidestepping, getting like we love to do in lit yoga, getting sidestepping, getting rotating, so clamshell type. Those are kind of money shots that everybody needs it. We're all weak there, so it's a good place to start. But I would definitely look at pelvis and biomechanics. Yeah, I I really don't have anything to add on to that. It's that uh, repetitive flexing of the knee. And and like Kristen said, the first thing I would do, and you can do this for yourself, is that look at video yourself. And when you start to bend like in a kind of like in a squat position, what is the first thing that moves? So the giveaway for people that end up having knee pain or already have existing knee pain is when they're going down, you know, in a crouching way or a squat way, whatever way you want to think of it, like a prep for your netball, Almost always, we will, you'll see the knee be the first thing to move, and it moves forward. And so that's telling you the femur is moving forward into the knee. And even though the hips might be going back a little bit, you're not guiding the femur back. So I always tell people, put your hands on your knees, like cup your knees in front as you squat back. And when you start to feel that knee go forward first, back it up start over, retrain, retrain, um, because that's just a really easy retrainable thing, but it's going to take some time and patience and you do need to video yourself because it's just so hardwired. You won't even realize it. I'll I'll, I'll be working with people and they've gotten it better. And then one, you know, they want to show me something and kind of just are talking. And so they're not thinking and then they do it. And the first thing they do is go revert back to that very hardwired way. So it's just over time, it will improve, but you have to pay attention to it. Okay. Speaking of hip hinging, yoga, man, you ask, can you tell us the difference or what is the difference between hip hinge and kind of moving from your low back and why do you prefer one over the other? You got to start with this one. Yeah, I know. (laughs) So, I mean, this really is... um, 
you know, rampant in yoga. And one of the first things that I remember feeling when I started like inquiry, like, hmm, what moves don't really make sense to me as a PT? Because I had kind of taken, I would have my PT hat on when I was working in the clinic and then I'd put my yoga hat on and I didn't really have, even though it was in my brain, I just, you know, just like many people do, I came and I wanted to be a student. So I was just doing what the people were telling me. And then it dawned on me one day that I actually probably knew a lot more than they did. And they're just repeating things that they were taught. And that's when I started to say like, what here doesn't make sense? So what wasn't being taught is a hip hinge where you are moving from your hips uh, right below the center of mass in your body. So when you move there, it's very effective. It's very balancing. They move well. When they move well, they move well. And they keep your spine neutral, which is a very stable and important position to be able to do, especially when you're kind of loading it as gravity is going to be loading down on it. To keep it neutral is going to keep it safer. So a hip hinge, if you were standing, you're hinging at the hips. You're just moving those hips in the way they're made to move trillions of times. They're like the knees. They're really made to be mobile. Now, of course, the hips over time have more issues with them not being mobile because what do people do? They move in the back. They move in the back, they move in the back over and over. They overmove the knees. So it is the reason why it's, yes, hip hinging is far superior to moving in the back because while we want mobility in the back, we want it in a uniform way and we don't want it when it's loaded. So loaded means gravity is going to be coming down on it and we don't have a stable base you know, getting back to a like base of support, which we talked about in last week's podcast, you know, you have two feet on the ground. That's pretty small base of support. You start moving your torso trunk over. What's going to take the load of gravity is your spine versus if you hold your spine, what's called a co-activated trunk, meaning there's just enough activation of the postural muscles to hold the spine in neutral. And then you move from the hips well, you're basically staying over your cent- your base of support. And then you're just using the muscles of your trunk getting stronger to support your spine. So there's no structural impact on your spine like there would be if you were to fold, just flexing at the spine in different ways. That is one explanation. There's a lot more to it than that. But it is so important for people to learn how to hinge at the hips. You know, I think statistically it's said that something like 80% of people will have, by the time they're 65, will have had some kind of low back pain, injury, blah, blah, blah. That's a lot. You know, it's a majority of people. And I think if when we've looked at parts of the uh, world where low back pain is very, you know, uncommon, it's because they are active, they're moving in their hips, they know how to hip hinge. They've shown this. There's a New York Times article and it showed a woman in, I think it was Africa and, and how, you know, hinging over, doing all this gardening work, her spine was neutral. There was not a round flexed part in it. Her hips were way back and she was using, you know, just the, her center of mass was stable, her spine was stable. And the report was, this is how we should all be doing this because there's no presentation of low back pain in those societies where they really know how to squat well. Any other comments on yeah, that? No, I, that's a, I would also just point out when you move with the hips, 
the sheer size of your gluteus maximus and your hamstrings. You know, those are your two muscles. When you move at the hips and you recruit the glute max, which by the way is like your largest and heaviest muscle in the body, and then your medial hamstrings, they work to move the pelvis forward to lift you back up. So they control the pelvis going back. They move the pelvis forward to lift you back up. Bringing it to a yoga, where how many times do we do that? Oh my gosh, the forward fold. I try to call it a forward hinge now. I try to catch myself because I don't even call it a fold because if you've got these massive muscles that are built for power, built for strength, you're using them as opposed to when you fold at the spine, it's an articulated mass. It folds and those tiny muscles, the multifidus, they braid up the spine, but they're comparatively so much smaller. They are not built to maintain and lift. Your trunk is like 60% of your body mass. So you fold forward. What do you want to lift 60% of your body mass back up over your head? I personally don't want the multifidus and the erector spinae to be doing that over and over again. They're not mechanically built for that. They are built to support the spine in a neutral position Yes, they're built to work on occasion, but not repeatedly. And so especially, 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 especially in yoga or any activity where you're repeatedly forward hinging or forward folding, use the bigger muscles that are built to, you've got this massive set in the back that we don't ever use traditionally because we aren't moving with our hips, that if we can engage those guys, it's a game changer, totally takes it out of your back. Incidence of low back pain will go down dramatically when you learn to use your glutes and your hamstrings via your hips to take it out of the low back. So that's my PSA is just talking to your point. The hips are built for it, but so are the muscles back there. And we got to oh, yeah. use those big honkers, you know? Absolutely. And I was just, you know, it came to mind immediately when you're talking about this. It's just go and YouTube like football players or athletes doing like burpees or doing the, when they're running and then they have to jump and jump back and get on the ground. And none of them are rounding in the spine. I can tell you that. You will see, they are just like to the ground. They bend their knees, they get their butt back. And that is where you're holding your center strong. And when you start rounding in your spine, as you fold forward, it's what it's doing. It's like collapsing everything. Now, some people are going to be immediately trying to take this and bring it into, well, wait, what about cat-cow? Every move is different. And again, it goes to biomechanics and physics. When you're in a cat-cow and you've got your hands and your knees on the ground, you've really expanded your base of support. You don't have that the gravitational forces down on the entire trunk with a small base of support. So that's a great time to actively, I never say just push around in cat and cow, but to actively work on mobilizing the spine uniformly as well. And then you don't have that increasing load of gravity because gravity increases as the angle of your trunk goes forward. You're keeping the trunk at the same middle position, you know, horizontal, and then you just add a little bit of movement. So that's fine. We do want to be able to articulate the spine, but doing it in a standing position to the ground is not the place to do it. (laughs) All right. I think we got our point across. As always, this is so fun. More questions next week. You can always send them to me or KB. KB 
is Kristen or on her Instagram is kbwilliams99. I'm lara.hyman. And we so support you guys and we would love it if you support us by subscribing to this. This helps a lot. Subscribe to our podcast, but then also share it with friends, screenshot a review if you would give it to us. And then you can email that review, the screenshot of it to support at lityoga.com and we will give you a free link to a special class just for you. But thank you for your support. And as always, we're pulling for you.